0: Hello and welcome to the PhD Going Industry Podcast, the show for grad students who wanna say goodbye to academia and take their career to the business world. Today I've got a great interview for you with Lauren, AKA Theory of Lauren. You'll know her uh, from her Instagram channel as well as her YouTube channel that both go by the same name. Today, Lauren and I discussed a couple different topics. One, we talked about uh, Lauren's experience of having OCD as a grad student and the various ways in which she navigates that experience. Number two, we talked about the power of journaling. If you have followed Theory of Lauren or seen any of her content, you know that journaling is a big part of her life and the content that she puts out. Um, And we talk about how that intersects with both being a grad student and uh, navigating mental health as well. The last thing that we talked about is content creation. Um, The theory of Lauren or Lauren, she is a avid content creator. She's been creating content for a while, mostly around the topics of being a grad student and journaling. And so we share tips and strategies and experiences related to starting to create content. So if you are a grad student and you are experiencing some mental health struggles as a grad student, obviously this is not therapy. You should contact your therapist if you want professional help, but I think you will get something out of this episode. If you're interested in starting to journal as a grad student whether it is for the experience of it the mental health benefit or the productivity benefit i think you'll get a lot out of this episode and if you are a content creator or you want to become a content creator i think you'll be interested in the conversations that we have later in the episode about content creation so if you are here and you only want to hear about the process of going industry this episode may not be the episode for you. We do touch on uh, a few topics related to going industry in the episode, but it is not the main focus of the episode. main focus of the episode, like I said, is going to be about uh, Lauren's experiences as a grad student and journaling and content creation. So I will get back to episodes where I interview folks who are in industry and are sharing their experiences and tips and aspects of their industry jobs and sharing ways on how you can get into industry. But I like to, every once in a while, just sprinkle in some episodes that are uh, a little bit different because I know not everyone wants to hear about how to go industry every single week. So great episode for you. Be sure to scroll down into the episode description and click some of those links so that you can see uh, Lauren's content. And then, of course, if you like the episode today, please uh, leave a five star rating, drop a review, and share this podcast with a friend. Thank you so much. And I will see you on the other side of this interview. All right, Lauren. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to chat with me. Um, we have been DMing back and forth for at least a couple months, six months.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It must that? be
0: something like that. Yeah.
1: I feel like, yeah. Probably six months or so, maybe.
0: Yeah. So could you take just a moment to let everyone know who you are and what you do and where they can find you online?
1: Sure. Um, so I am Lauren, and I am a third-year PhD student. Right now, I am studying um, at an institution in Toronto, Canada. And on social media, I'm at Lauren on Instagram, and on YouTube as well.
0: Very cool. And I'll definitely put links in the description of this episode so people can scroll down and click and go to your profile. What do you put on YouTube, by the way? I'm curious.
1: So just um, videos of like how I use my planner, basically, and journal for grad school. There's quite a large... Uh, I guess adjacent to like the planner and journaling community on Instagram is over on YouTube, and so it kind of gives a little bit more flexibility for those like longer form content um, options. And yeah. people love to see flip throughs of planners, apparently. So that's generally what I when I post over there.
0: Very cool. Very awesome. But I'm and very
1: inconsistent. So yeah, it's just low stakes.
0: Yeah, very cool. And uh, we'll definitely uh, chat about planners and journals and that kind of thing. And I think I think you were one of the first people, or not one of the first, but you were one of the people where I saw your planners, and that was kind of part of an imp- uh, impetus for me to get back into actually doing handwritten to-do lists. And um, I had been doing morning pages for a little bit, which we'll okay. talk about occasionally. Um, but yeah, getting back into, I don't know if you do bullet journaling per se, I don't remember the name of the kind of journaling you do. Just but.
1: like a genre defying approach okay. to <laughs> journaling, I
0: guess. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, we will definitely get to that. I, I loved uh, seeing your spreads. They're called spreads, right? Yeah. People call them spreads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I got the the nomenclature. But so before we get there, <laughs> let's jump back what brought you to grad school
1: yeah so i actually feel like my path at least to doing my ma was like quite just like laid out for me basically so during my undergrad i had a pretty uh i would say like unconventional undergraduate experience where i had to repeatedly kind of take time away from school for health reasons and Mm. and so because of that, I was a little bit like disjointed in my within my program and like within my my trajectory of studying. Um, but later, towards the end, I started working with um, one of my professors at the time. Who um, my my undergrad is in art history, so uh, one of my art history professors really inspired me and I I really wanted to um, like learn as much as I could and take as many courses as I could from this professor and she ended up really showing me how I could use kind of my background and my personal experiences and situate that kind of within conversations of research and theory and art and use it for something like good or productive I guess. And yeah. because of the close work I had done with her during my undergrad, she um suggested staying at the school and doing my MA and she would supervise me. And so that pretty much led me all the way right through to my MA. And of course when I was finishing up my MA I realized there's just so many questions I still have and things I wanted to still explore and i love theory so um i just decided to keep going and here i am
0: yeah that's awesome what what kind of like topics or themes or questions do you answer with the work that you do or seek to answer
1: yeah so i really uh look at See, like narrative and aesthetic representations of trauma and violence and how how we can represent or in what ways can we represent these difficult or troubling subject matters in ways that are perhaps more approachable for other people or even um, reparative for the subjects themselves and just really looking to see the ways in which art, aesthetics, things like that can contribute or help us to negotiate uh, traumatic experiences and things like that. So of course, um, yeah, thinking about like the ethics and politics of witnessing and spectatorship and things like that mm-hmm. are all kind of the questions that I'm looking at.
0: Very interesting. And um, what, you No. Know, I was going to ask some other question, but we can jump to, um, what are you looking to do after you graduate? Cause you're a third year PhD yeah. student, right? Okay. Yeah. So the job market is a little bit down the ways, but, uh, coming closer in like two years, would that be about right?
1: I'm aiming for three. Three.
0: <laughs> well, cool. I'm
1: hoping three and like, that's it. But Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's cool. yeah
1: so I guess I I really like to do research and write so I would love to be able to um, really focus on like writing a book at some point or just uh, explore other opportunities where I may be able to share my thoughts in whatever like academic writing or not it doesn't really matter to me but then also through my school experience and being a teaching assistant I have found that I actually do like teaching a lot so that's convenient cool. because I think like staying in academia allows me to kind of have the flexibility to do all those things in that specific realm so I think if I could get some kind of um, teaching position at some point that would be ideal but uh, I know it's a rough world out there in terms of job opportunities. So yeah, kind of just avoid thinking about
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and that's so cool that you're attracted to teaching. Uh, some of my friends I went to grad school with loved the teaching aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they've gone into that doing it like a, like a full, like teaching university experience, like a Mm -hmm. Mm four, four or whatever course load. um, The question that I forgot to ask you was, uh, what has your experience been like in grad school so far?
1: Uh, Yeah, I feel like my experience as starting with my MA, I think I was a little bit more, I was a little less jaded than where I am now. So my MA was an amazing experience. Of course, it was stressful and challenging and whatever, but I really... I'm so grateful for that experience and the people that I met like through that experience. And it was very, I don't want to say like smooth sailing because it definitely wasn't, but it just felt like I had a very clear trajectory the entire time. Like I knew going in, like what my research focus was and I knew how I was going to do it and everything like that. My PhD experience has been a little bit more difficult in that sense i i started in the fall of 2020 and at that time it was like peak covid Mm. era and also where i'm living in toronto we were basically in like a full lockdown for like a year so i was doing all of my coursework virtually and i was teaching virtually and i wasn't really able to like go anywhere because obviously like coffee shops and libraries and things they're all closed. So I was pretty much just like confined to my apartment for the first year and a half and that was I think really challenging for me obviously especially with meeting people you know like virtual just doesn't offer the same kind of commiseration or like networking experiences um, that in person does and because of that I felt really isolated Mm -hmm. and I think yeah just just because of all of those conditions, my morale was a little lower, and I felt a little bit more uninspired by my research, and a lot more questions of, like, should I really be doing this? Like, what's the point? Things like that. Um, And things have definitely gotten better since a certain degree of normalcy has returned here, Um, and now we're just back to, like, the baseline level of grad school suffering, I guess.
0: Yeah yeah you know i the pandemic began when i was ending my time as a research scientist and um interestingly i had actually me and my family had moved home to kentucky and so i was already working remotely uh even before the pandemic started and the pandemic happened all of our research basically like shut down and so you know we were doing whatever we could to move projects forward and um that was when i was heavier on grad school sucks and right you know on i was on that quite a bit during the pandemic and uh, you know a lot of people were online and yeah. sharing stories of what grad school is like throughout the pandemic and i i could not even imagine um yeah it seems like a whole whole different experience bleak.
1: it's funny now seeing like um or running into some of like this year's cohort of PhD students because they're back to like classes in person and everything and things like that. And they, I just feel like I'm a little bit like too cynical now to like be around them. I'm like, am I like bringing down the mood or something? Because I just know like what a kind of struggle everything has felt like up until that mm-hmm. point. that yeah It's just pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that brings up an interesting question. So during the pandemic, I think a lot of people, uh, experienced like a heightening in their different mental health challenges uh, that they they had going on. Some people may have, you know, things may have gotten better for them. But I think for a lot yeah. of people, you know, uh, mental health became more of like a thing to be working on throughout the pandemic. Did you have any, like, anything during the pandemic that you found or anything now that you found that helps with either pandemic era struggles in grad school or just the normal like struggles in grad school?
1: Yeah, I think that's part of kind of, for me, the struggles that I did have like during the pandemic and just with grad school in in general. Um, I do have uh, OCD, like obsessive compulsive disorder and I've had that for years. Like this is not a a new thing, but um, it has made grad school and the pandemic a little bit trickier just in terms of the ways in which the OCD like shows up for me in academic spaces has always been challenging and it's not the most easily understood Mm. or perceived kind of condition. There's a lot of I think like stereotype like just like assumptions about like what OCD looks like and that's generally just not been my experience of having it so kind of communicating that has always been a little bit difficult and i think specifically with the pandemic um of course all like therapy and treatment and medical things most was moved to online as well so it definitely made me feel like an extra layer of isolation i mean of course I'm, i was still able to connect with everyone that i needed to um, online or by phone but it again, just felt a little bit like stifling almost. Mm. And then, of course, the uncertainty of the pandemic and everything that was happening um, is just added weight of the kind of, I guess, discomfort of like uncertainty and how that that pairs with the OCD as well. So it definitely made things a lot harder in terms of, staying like in a good headspace you know you kind of like when you kind of get stuck in like a more negative headspace it's very easy to just like kind of like keep kind of feeling further down that but uh, i'm just like so happy now to be uh, of that place it's like depends on the day kind of thing but more or less just being able even to go and work in the library for instance and like get out of my own head is just so helpful. I work out of the house as much as I can because it's just so much better for me mentally.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, That's funny. Both my wife and I, like I said, you know, I started working remotely a couple months before the pandemic. My wife, my wife has been working remotely in tech for five years, a while. And so we've been doing the remote life for for a minute. And still oh, wow. to this day. Yeah, like my desk is right behind me. Uh, my wife's desk desk is downstairs. And so you know, we do our meetings here, we, we do our work here. And we, wow. you know, we try to get out of the house at least twice a yeah. day, <laughs> two to three times a day. Um, but yeah, you know, the remote life is interesting. And I think, you know, for many people who, who do end up going industry, I think there will be a lot of industry work, especially if you mm. go into data, um, mm-hmm. a lot of data jobs will probably stay remote depending on like the okay. sector you go in. Um, but yeah, remote life, I think in many ways, remote life is here, uh, you know, for a while. But one of the things that you brought up uh, that was interesting was um, like getting out of your head, clearing your headspace. And one of the things that I... I had done it years ago, but I picked it back up during the pandemic was morning pages. And I know that's something I I bring up with some frequency um, online, but uh, it's like a journaling practice where you write out your thoughts, stream of consciousness style, uh, three pages handwritten in the morning. And it was popularized by uh, Julia Cameron in the book, The Artist's Way. If people want to know any more about it, they can they can search that out. But I know journaling is a big thing for you. Um, what what do you get out of the journals that you create? Um, like, what does that what's that experience like? What does that do for you? Does it you know mitigate any mental health stuff? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah,
1: journaling has been like a labor of love, I guess because I, I mean, I guess like adjacent to the OCD or part of the OCD is a lot of um, like perfectionistic tendencies or this feeling of like having to have things be just right, they call it a lot of the time. And that like just right component of the OCD. So for a long time, I actually like hated journaling and like, writing in general like in undergrad i like couldn't even like take notes by hand i would have to like type things because of just like needing like the symmetry and the precision of everything to be so perfect um and it wasn't until um i guess like around the time that i started grad school and i started like a more intensive um, therapy that i really began um, to challenge my ocd and like to to expose myself to like that discomfort and it just started with like a daily practice of like writing like a sentence Mm. or so in a with a pen in a journal and have it just be how it is and doing that like every day i began to not only like tolerate the discomfort of the imperfections or the imprecisions but actually found myself like still thinking after that like I wanted to keep writing and it kind of just ballooned from there honestly and now I um, not only like take all my notes and things uh, by hand for school and for my research but yeah journaling is a huge part of my life I think it's also really helped me in the context of like understanding my own experiences both with the OCD, um, et cetera. And also just like in life to write it down and kind of that stream of consciousness that you you mentioned earlier, um, I think writing it down gives you a new perspective or like a new angle to kind of look at these moments of your life or even for me, a lot of the time, thoughts like come to me very fragmented or just randomly. And I just like write them down and then you can revisit them or kind of put those fragments like back together in different ways. So for me, like journaling and just like writing more broadly I think has really become like a tool of cohesion almost and cohering my experiences as someone with OCD. and cohering my experiences in my daily life as a grad student whatever and just to like make sense of those experiences and also put words and language to those experiences in ways that i'm then able to communicate to my family or to my therapist or whatever and i feel more understood and like i understand better what i'm experiencing and that provides like such a level of comfort that is so surprisingly like unmatched it's and wild. So I would I would say it's been like a huge process but also yeah. like one of the best.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. There was a um there was a famous memoirist who I can't remember her name, but she she had some one-liner that I'm going to butcher, but it was something <laughs> to the effect of uh you don't really experience your life fully as you're living it you experience it when you when you write it out when you mm-hmm. um when you ruminate on it and i always thought that was really interesting as like a ex therapist you know um, yes. i think i think it's very easy and i'm i myself am guilty of this but it's very easy to live uh not mindfully but mindlessly and to not actually pay attention to your your own experience and the thoughts and the feelings that you're having, but when you force yourself to stop and write, you're actually like, you know, holding yourself in that in that moment a little bit deeper. Um, that makes so much sense to me.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too that you mentioned like ruminating because that's like a key a lingo and like the ocd mm-hmm. I guess, like context is like the the tendency that someone might have to like ruminate or like fixate on something they did or something they said in order to kind of like ascertain certainty of something Mm -hmm. and it is something that i kind of struggle with very regularly um in terms of like making like reviewing like that like mental review or like mental checking and ruminating on my thoughts and how that actually like does contribute to a a, a lack of mindfulness because you get yeah. so stuck and like caught up in your own head and your own ways of thinking that you maybe are less present in your in your life. So it's interesting how journaling and writing has or becomes kind of like a process of like reclaiming those like very kind of integral acts as like something that is actually beneficial or something that you actually have agency and uh, control over. So I think, yeah. yeah, in so many ways, it's just been so transformative.
0: That's awesome. And so I think, um, I think when folks hear <laughs> about journaling, it it, it may feel a little like scary or, or maybe just a little demanding um yeah you know when i was, i think when i was a teenager i tried to like have a journal and oh my god it was like it was terrible you know, I, yeah i i didn't enjoy the process of doing it i didn't enjoy trying to think about what i was going to write I, I would think about like well, what am i actually going to want to read later what is actually important to write about if i write something i don't like should i like rewrite it um but so yeah. For, for folks in grad school who are looking for a way to kind of get out of their head, how do you suggest they, they get started with a journaling practice?
1: Okay, so I can totally relate to your high school journaling experiences because I had like a similar practice and for me it was like I needed to do it every single day and if I like missed a day to just like give up because that's kind of what I feel like is implied with journaling is you know you have like your dated entry and you sit down and like kind of chronicle your day or whatever and for me once I like let go of that routine aspect or that like commitment I guess to doing it so regularly it became much more or much less of an obligation and i think that was like really key so what i what i found really helpful was literally just like on like a piece of paper in the back of my notebook i just like started like a running list and like every time i like had a thought that was like i don't know felt that needed to be like contemplated further it just came up for me something that happened that made me Think about something else or something that bothered me i would just like write it down like with a bullet point like on the list and so eventually i just had this like really long running list of thoughts and that really helps to like i find just like get into the practice of stopping and like isolating those moments and recording them without the pressure of it needing to be like a formal journal entry which i think is where a lot of like the fear comes from or like the resentment almost so and and from there you know it becomes so normal or such a regular part of your daily life that kind of just writing longer paragraphs or even pages becomes uh, like a reflex after a while so i would say just like eliminating all of the pressures and all of your preconceived notions of what journaling should look like even though like Word journaling, I feel like can like incite like anxiety for people when they think about having to have like that kind of really rigid practice. But it could simply just be like writing like the most basic thoughts down on a paper, just so that you can get them out of your head. I think whenever you want, whenever it comes up.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and the 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 kind of journaling. The, the morning pages journaling that, that I've tried to practice, which I don't do every day. I do a couple times a week, and, you know, I I, I call that a win. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, it's It's all about just, like, getting those thoughts out of your head because the more that you hold up here, the less that it feels like you're able to, like, focus on, mm-hmm. you know, the deep mm-hmm. important things that you need to, to wrestle with, whether it's, you know, uh, job hunting or... Um, you know, finishing a paper or finding some way to explain some data that you've been working with, um, having, having too, too clouded ahead is never, never a good practice.
1: Yeah. I also find too that like, just sometimes even like if I'm writing about something that happened like during the day, often getting it out of my head, or just like seeing it on paper gives me new ways of looking at like, other things that I've been thinking about. So a lot of the time, like my reflections in my journal, lead me to like new connections related to my research, like, Mm. just out of, like, coincidence, or just out of the practice of kind of yeah writing things down differently and seeing it from that different angle. So a lot of my, like, I would say, like, greatest connections that I've made in my own research have just been, like, kind of, um, like, catalyzed by, like, journaling a little bit about it or writing something small. So I think it helps in, like, more ways than we can even really know.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. When did you start creating content around journaling?
1: So I actually think I started my Instagram account, like, the summer before I started grad school in 2018 Uh, and I started I think my intention was to not specifically focus on journaling but more like studying like study aesthetics was like really (laughs) I think big at the time Um, and like study motivation and things like that but because journaling has become like such an important part of my life I think I've really Uh, focused on that since then but yeah it was probably yeah I think it was the summer right before I started grad school
0: very cool very cool and what what have your experiences been like uh, about like posting on social media about journaling
1: it's honestly been like so wonderful for the most part because I think I've just been able to make so many connections with so many different people who have similar interests and similar ways of thinking about things. I am so grateful, uh, especially because I do like primarily live alone and grad school is like isolating at the best of times, but then when you add the pandemic, it adds that whole other layer of isolation. And so having kind of that separate community on Instagram. Of like-minded people I to me is like one of the most important or like one of the key aspects of like how I survived grad school and the pandemic I think so I could not like stress enough how beneficial it has been
0: hmm. that's awesome and um... Could you say a little bit about like what, what kind of content you've been creating for Instagram and who that's for and the kind of content you've been creating for YouTube and who that's for and even the process of uh, creating the two?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like Instagram and social media in general definitely takes the back burner a lot of the time, especially when I'm like really busy with school and things like that. So I don't have like a conventional like, approach or like practice, I it's purely like, I mean, I I started my account, like purely for like, selfish reasons of wanting to like, feel more connected to people and things like Mm. that. And from there, I think it has been well received to a certain extent. Um, And that's like a bonus, but I'm more think I'm I get like struck by like moments of inspiration and think oh that would be like an interesting thing to post about or um this would make like a nice photo or things like that but I it's mostly kind of I let my life creativity guide me if you will and and that's like my Instagram strategy and YouTube really is even more of a back burner than Instagram but typically um YouTube is where I go when people comment or ask me about like why I do certain things or how I do certain things, like in my planner or journal, I, or I get requests for specific processes that people have questions about and things like that. So then that's kind of where I would like turn to YouTube and just have that space where you can share more longer form content. Um, uh, but it's, yeah all of the YouTube stuff is basically a product of a question that I got asked at some point over on Instagram.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. I, I like, I love consuming YouTube. That's actually the platform that I consume the most content on, okay. even though I'm, you know, more active in creating on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've always been uh, intimidated by like creating those like long form videos that I feel like today most of videos that people put up seem pretty polished and uh yeah that's been it's been something i've been wanting to jump into like here's three tips on creating your first industry resume but haven't made the leap yet
1: some people are so proficient it seems when it comes to like editing and even just like structuring videos like I'm the same way where I do watch a lot of YouTube content and I am just like blown away by some people's abilities. And I like don't really have like A, the time or B, the patience to like devote Mm -hmm. to that. So I just do like the absolute bare minimum. But I think at least in the kind of journaling world or journal community on Instagram and a little bit on YouTube as well the uh, kind of emphasis or the draw for a lot of people is really that like community aspect over hmm. like or seeking out the community aspect over seeking out like a visually exciting like video production if that
0: makes sense. yeah no that makes total sense um and for any content creators out there you know i i feel like getting caught in production is uh, such a trap <laughs> whenever mm-hmm. i first started doing these these podcast episodes um i have a little bit of a background in in very casual background in doing some live uh music audio mixing and I began to nerd out about like you know, how to edit things out and take out ums and take out spaces or pauses that are greater than two seconds. Like I still remember that I had a pause that was around eight seconds about 15 minutes ago that I'm gonna have to go edit out where I was trying to remember that other question that I was gonna ask you. Yeah. And so I, I was pouring like three or four hours into editing podcasts that were an hour long, you know, or 45 minutes long. And, uh, I was like, man, this is too much. So I've simplified my editing process, but recently I went to, there's, there are some like, like podcast studios here in Lexington, which is really interesting that you can rent out like by the hour and like go in and they have like, you know, HD cameras and great, you know, everything that you can just roll in with your guest or have a guest online and do the thing with them really cool idea and so they were they hold like monthly creator gatherings where people just get together and have drinks and snacks and talk and i've been going to these and a lot of the creators interestingly they they moonlight as videographers for people either doing like weddings or like real estate like videos for like a real estate listing or you know for other Mm -hmm. content creators or businesses and they, they talk about the the time that they put into video editing. And they'll be like, yeah, man, I'll shoot for 45 minutes. Get, you know, I'll get like an, maybe an hour of footage and then do 10 hours of editing. Oh my god, To make like a 30 minute video. And I'm just like, oh, like you can, you can really get crazy with video. It's insane.
1: I fully believe that. Like, I think. I mean, as like to go back to just like the OCD again, and like that like feeling of like perfectionisticness, or just like the just right. I mean, I can get caught up on like small details of things and get stuck there for uh, like ages. So I can I can easily see myself falling into that like trap of thinking that something has to be just right and then like losing like 10 hours of my day doing that. I do that with schoolwork like all the time. So um, I just hopefully will just never let keep it keep the expectations of myself as low as possible.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, to, to turn the conversation on its head, maybe a little bit to where I was going with originally, I think there's so much power in if folks out there do want to be a content creator. And they want to get started just posting, mm-hmm. like not not going crazy with editing and production. For example, you know, my kid is home today. Apparently there's going to be inclement weather. So all the schools closed. We haven't seen the weather yet, but uh, so my kid's home. You can hear him yelling in the background. I'm sure that'll come over in the audio. The dog's barking, the doors are slamming. And uh, that's just the reality of creating content. And You know, you can, yeah, it's, I I find it, I connect with you in that I, I will get stuck in analysis paralysis and like, just want to ruminate to death on like fixing all the little things, but producing, producing is like, producing is what creates things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Editing is great, but editing does not produce.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, too, the majority of the time, like, your audience, that's what they want in the end, too, you know, they want to just, like, see something that they can feel connected to or inspired by. So I think a lot of, like, the time, the hang-ups that we do as creators, like, find ourselves in are our, it's such, like, a, a self-trap, almost, mm-hmm. because um, I think, yeah, the, the the expectations
0: that we hold of ourselves get a little bit like blown out of proportion. I think a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, as we start to wrap up this conversation, one thing that I did want to talk a little bit about is, is like being a content creator. Um, and we've touched on it a little bit already, but I know that there are some folks out there who like grad students who either want to create content around like their topic area or they want to create content on the life of a grad student, they or they want to be like a science communicator in general. Um, and for folks who do want to start creating content, where what do you do? You have any tips on just like getting started?
1: I think it sounds so maybe like cliche or just like perfunctory, but just to like get started like as simple as that sounds like do that one thing like hit post on your first instagram post or upload on your first youtube video and let yourself grow and learn and adapt like from there because i think and i it's much easier said than done but we can't expect to be perfect or know everything mm-hmm. right away or from the beginning you know if you think about like any kind of situation like in school for instance like from the time that i submitted my first paper as an ma student to like even where i am now in my my phd like i look back at my writing as an ma student i'm like oh wow that looks like I wrote this paper like that's embarrassing like i can't even yeah. like look at it and that's only been like three years. So, you know, of course, that's in the context of school. But I think the same thing still applies, you know, to content creation, where you're even a month or two months or a year from your first post are going to learn so much more. And not only that, but your style and your approach is going to change as well, too. So I think a big part of getting started is really like making room for adaptation or making room for or space to have things change and have things evolve over time and not necessarily demanding the same thing from yourself at all times because that's just not really how like life works
0: yeah 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 i feel like the journey of becoming a content creator is somewhat parallel in ways to being a grad student You know, when you start out, the products you create are just not great. And there's no way they could be great. Um, And you know, I, I follow a YouTuber who talks about how the first 100 videos you post are not going to be good, but you can't start making good until you post the first 100 videos. I've heard people who talk about podcasts say the same thing. You have to get through fifty episodes, which is basically a year of podcasting okay. before yeah. you really know what you're doing, and um, and I think maybe for newer creators, they may feel uh, maybe like discouraged by follow counts are where mm-hmm. like everybody puts the value right. Like how many followers do I have? Um, and I th- I think I think it's great. When you're a grad student it's it's great because you can research a wide variety of things you don't actually have to create publications every time um and you can publish on kind of whatever you want it doesn't have to be fundable when you're a professor (laughs) you have to have the publication you have to get the grant you have to do the thing and you don't get to explore anymore you have to you know you have to produce something that other people will rubber stamp. Yeah. And I think as a creator, it's similar in that when you're not under the microscope yet, you, you get to like experiment a little more without ruining your reputation basically. And That's I think, fair. I think some of the, I think there are some instances of like famous people who step into content creation, who expected it to um, I'm thinking of act- Hollywood actors, basically, who, um, you know, they do their thing and, and they in Hollywood great, and then they start a TikTok account, and some of them are fantastic, and some of them are awful. And it's terrible when they're awful because they already have a following. And so all these people are showing up, and it may be this person's first time actually being a content creator in that role. And they're just getting <laughs> judged by, you know, a good percentage of the internet because they they already had a following. And so I think not having a following at the beginning is a blessing in disguise in many ways.
1: Absolutely. I think so too. And again, like not to sound like super redundant, but if you can make some of those kind of like early like key connections with one or two people you know like slide into their dms or whatever and just kind of like get talking and even like plant the seed of some kind of rapport the the motivation to keep Mm. creating content that really helps i find because already you know you're finding your people you're finding uh, like-minded thinkers and that's going to reflect well, both like just like for your own like mental health and like sense of belonging, but also just in terms of your content creation process and capacities in general. So I like just cannot stress enough like the benefits of those relationships that that you can make um, across social media.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, Lauren, we are, excuse me, we are nearing the end of our time together. Is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you wanted to get to? Uh,
1: I think that like about conversation, I'm always happy if people have further questions about OCD and academia or the two combined. I'm always happy to chat reach out if they feel necessary.
0: absolutely and before i go into the last question will you again plug away uh where can people find you online
1: yes so i can be found um, on instagram at theory um, dot lauren, and i'm pretty sure it's the same over on youtube so uh, at theory of um, dot lauren
0: very cool and again, I will have links in the uh, description of this episode so people can scroll down and click on them and go directly to that if they would like to. Lauren, the uh, final question I have for you. What do you think grad? What is one thing you think grad students should consider doing before they finish grad school? One thing that I
1: think grad students should do before they finish grad yeah.
0: school. Could be something fun. Could be be something serious. Could be something professional.
1: Um, I guess, like,
0: hmm, a hard question.
1: I would say, like, enjoy the flexibility of kind of Hmm. getting to make your own schedule and really embrace that because I know once you kind of leave the grad school world things get a little bit more rigid so i think really taking advantage of that freedom and flexibility is what i would recommend because i suspect that's what i'm gonna miss the most
0: yeah 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 well fun thank you so much for coming on the show lauren It's you for great having to me. finally talk with you yeah Likewise. absolutely
1: yeah thank you so much
0: i'll see you next time There you have it, folks. That was my conversation with Lauren, a.k.a. Theory of Lauren. Give her a follow on Instagram and YouTube if you like what you heard. And if you appreciate this episode, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as letting a friend know about the show. So I have got more interviews coming uh, moving up. I've got interviews with uh, former grad students who have become professors. And I think those are going to be some really interesting conversations. And I have a lot of interviews coming down the pike that are with folks who are in industry, former grad students, now in industry with industry jobs. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's going to be an awesome next couple months worth of content. So again, thanks for listening. If uh, you want to get in touch with me, feel free to reach out on Instagram at PHD going industry and for anything else you can check out the website phdgoingindustry.com thank you all for listening see you all next time